Um, yeah, what are we what, what are we doing here? Oh yes, you, uh, this is the stack exchange. This is going to be fun for Alex to edit. He's going to have to convert it into an actual podcast. Um, we have we have with us to our fine audience. We have with us uh, two very special guest stars because some of us are all here in Reading, England. Is that what, what what's the actual name? Of in town? Tilehurst, actually. Tilehurst, so just to the west of Reading. Of Reading. Uh, in uh, um, let's call it central UK. Uh, with Mark, a uh, special guest star, Mark Gravel and John Skeet. Hi, folks. Uh, and uh, we've got Jeff on the line from Emeryville, California. And uh, I'm here in John's uh, uh, lounge, looking out on the garden. Very cool. And we also, also until he has to go to bed, uh, we also have my eldest son, Tom. Say hello, Tom. Hello. That's Tom Skeet. Hi, Tom. He's still only has less than 200,000 reputation on... Uh, <laughs> Yet have a Stack Overflow account. That will be, I would say, my proudest day. But that would be quite sad. Um, <laughs> that will be an interesting day when four months is the day that your son surpasses you in Stack Overflow reputation. <laughs> he probably has. He's probably just using an anonymous account, so you don't feel bad. He's very. <laughs> well, you see, we've got twins as well, so we're, I'm good for teaching them pair programming. But uh, ah. yeah, we, we haven't quite got there with. Uh, we haven't quite started teaching you programming yet, Tom. Have we? No. We're going to fairly soon, hopefully. Yeah, I've got that electronics kit to help me. Yep. So we're getting there. Yeah. What kind of electrons kit is that? What's Tell that? us about this kit. Uh, what, what you've got is what you would make. One of the really good things, well, one of the things that I really like is, is when you can get like a radio signal, then you can hear the radio, but then it goes all staticky. Then, then you have to press a button to get it again, and that's fun. And it has loads of lights and stuff, and stuff, and you can make things buzz and stuff. Cool. Yeah, I had one of those. You had to uh, you had to attach little wires with springs, and you could you yep. could set up different circuits. That's exactly the same kind of thing. Yeah. Um. And Tom's already rather better at controlling our AV stack than my wife Holly is. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of writing a manual sometime for babysitters because you know, it's not even that much that complicated. We have a Wii, we have a PlayStation 3, we have a Foxtel HDR, which is the PVR, and that's basically it. And those all feed into one amp. And I can um, write that list for you. Oh, <laughs> Tom's volunteering documentation. Or Fabulous. actually type it. Oh, yep. So there we go. Cool. Um, oh, okay. So uh, this is a, uh, we've got a rather unusual uh, set of guests today. Um, so uh, Jeff, you still with us? Yep, I am. Um, the 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 thing. What do we want to talk about with John? I mean, the main perp- one of the reasons well, we wanted to have John on the podcast is to talk about the issue of quality on Stack Overflow, right? Uh, yeah, we did. Um, and and. There was a recent blog entry which was just kind of related to that, where we we felt like there wasn't quite enough voting on uh, questions. One of the reasons we we feel this way is because we've done a lot of the the stats and looking at you know what makes a question good or bad, and uh, we found that it was kind of true that if you're trying to d- discriminate quality, you can definitely do it on answers. There's enough voting to do it, but voting alone is not nearly enough to to look at questions and decide if something is, you know, sort of good or bad or mediocre or what have you, uh, based on the voting. And actually this relates to John because John has written like a series of articles about Stack Overflow. And actually John, I was researching because people were were 
quizzing me with something that I found very strange, which was, you know, how do you tell a good question? They were like questioning the very idea of voting on a question as in, you know, there is no, I mean, I, I think this is crazy, but what they were saying was like, how do I tell when something, when a question is good, like, or bad? Yeah, like, I why agree. would that's, I downvote a question? I'd <laughs> like, say I, a question is good if it's seen... answerable. Um, yeah. I mean, that's sort of simplistic, but if you see a question that shows, A, that someone has done some research, you know, I, I'm all for, you don't have to have done the complete analyze everything in existence. I'm fine if someone's just done a little bit of research, enough research so that they can tell us, I tried this and it didn't work in this particular way. It behaved in a particular undesirable way. Um, if they give the bigger picture of what they're trying to do. So I want to achieve X. I thought I would try achieving it by doing Y. That didn't work. Instead, it did Z. Um, if you've got that sort of recipe, that's the basis for most good questions on Stack Overflow. And of course, it's going to be different. Um, something like that probably wouldn't be appropriate for cooking or you know, various other Stack Exchange sites. It's fairly particular to, to programming. Um, but there are just so many things that should be easy to get right. And every single day, there are loads of questions that say, I tried this, it didn't work. I tried right. this, it threw an exception. Yeah, what exception? <laughs> One of the things that uh, I thought was an interesting principle that applies across Stack Exchange is that if you um, basically the amount of effort it takes to answer a question should be commensurate with the amount of effort it took to ask it. Uh, and there's a feeling that if somebody asks a question and doesn't do a lot of work and preparation, <clears throat> and then they're sort of expecting that somebody will write a four page eloquent answer outlining all the possibilities and all that kind of stuff, then that's not really fair. Um, so you get the very underprepared people that are really not programmers at all trying to do things and asking you something and, and it would take three hours to answer answer their question at all and that that doesn't really seem th th those are the sort of maddening quality questions where it's like you know this is not it's not fair you're asking us to do an hour of work and you've sort of lackadaisically typed using two fingers uh, your little one sentence sentence grunt into Stack Overflow and then expect us to do all this work for you. I think fundamentally it's a it's a mindset that I don't understand. It's people really not thinking what's you know, even being selfish is fine, but they should be thinking what's the way that I can get to an answer quickest. And the way that they can get to an answer quickest is by doing a couple of minutes work beforehand themselves to make the question suitable so that it can be answered in five minutes instead of going back and forth with comments for twenty minutes or whatever. It's it's as if they're just typing without any sense of thought and purpose <laughs> at all. And I just don't get that. Right. Well, that's what I found so shocking was that people were saying that they couldn't even tell how to vote on questions. Like they couldn't understand the rationale. And it was like, you haven't seen a good question. You haven't seen a bad question. I mean, I understand the, the reluctance to downvote. I'm sure, John, that, you know, everybody I mean, can have their own way of thinking about I, that. I think I, I asked a question on Meta a very long time ago, sort of a year and a half ago, um, saying when would it be worth downvoting a question? Because usually if a question is bad enough, um, either I'll just add a comment and say, you know, fix this up in a particular way, um, or I'll vote to close. And th those two things actually cover most things, whereas downvoting an answer is very different. I will downvote an answer if it's actively unhelpful. And a question can rarely be actively unhelpful. It can just be it's not going to help the questioner. Um, 
and they can fix that with comments or whatever. Um, I've always thought it's... that the um, uh, now that we've got what, what is it, Jeff? Is it thirty five hundred questions a day? Is that the right number? I think it's What's more than thirty six hundred per day. Wow. Um, so uh, I, I, at this point, I'm, I'm feeling like we're almost at the point where you need kind of a, a, a probationary period for a question where people sort of look at it and even decide if it's worth the attention of the John Skeets of the world. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know if, um, John, how do, you, how do you feel about that? I mean, I, I, if you think about how Reddit works or um, uh, Hacker News, there's this idea of a new queue. Nothing shows up on the homepage. It shows up in the new queue when something is submitted. And um, there are a, a, a smaller number of people that are bored enough with what's on the homepage that they'll go into the new page, um, find a few things that they think are good, vote them up, and then if they're really good, they'll, they'll make it to the homepage. Uh, does that make sense? I think what we've got works pretty well at the moment. So I spend most of the day on the newest questions page. Mm-hmm. And occasionally, if I can't see anything in sort of the first two or three pages with 50 questions per page, um, then I'll go back to the homepage and see whether that's got anything. Um, and to be honest, I used to genuinely look through the subject lines of all questions. And these mm-hmm. days, that's just infeasible. So I'm only concentrating on the orange ones, as it were. So the tags that I'm interested in, um, which as that includes C Sharp.net, Java, um, that covers quite a few. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's okay to have this sort of pretty much fire hose of questions. What what does surprise me is the number of people who will judge whether a question, whether it's worth their time answering a question based on the accept rate, not based on mm-hmm. the question, whether it's you know, sensible or not, um, but on the guy's accept rate. You know, the, there are loads of comments um, saying, you know, why should I answer your question when you've got such a lousy accept rate? Or if you want any answers, um, improve your accept rate. And to be honest, if I see a question like that, if I think I can answer it, that immediately means I put more effort into answering it just to spite those people who are sort of either <laughs> so gung-ho about rep or whatever that you know, they always insist on acceptance. And if it is a reputation thing, the weird thing is um, usually these aren't people who hit the rep cap. And to be honest, un- until you hit the rep cap, the easiest way to get rep is via votes rather than acceptance. Um, so I don't know whether it is about um, rep or whether these people think that they're doing something fabulously positive by trying to encourage people to to accept answers. Um, but it just, I don't know, it, it always leaves a bitter taste in my mouth because the point of the site is to help people not to get them to accept answers. Well, um, I, I think that this is a sort of a standard um, feeling that a community only works. You know, it's a community based on reciprocity. <clears throat> or at least that's the perception, <clears throat> Excuse me, which, yeah. it, which is really not entirely true because essentially the people that are doing the answering are not really overlapping with the people that are asking the questions. So the, there, there is a, an illusion of reciprocity. And, and I think the feeling with the accept rate is, hey, the least you could do is give me some points here. You know, throw me an accept <laughs> if I solve your problem. Uh, and if you fail to do that, you should it's have It's also seen as a sort of surrogate metric for how invested someone is in the site in general, so how likely they are to edit their question if you suggest changes or respond to comments or just you know, react at all. And I can sort of see that, and it's fine to encourage it. And sometimes these, don't get me wrong, sometimes these are politely phrased um, and say, you know, okay, I'll answer, but you might want to 
work on your accept rate or whatever. But quite often they're really quite rude and generally I flag those ones. Um, You're not alone there. A lot of people do flag those um, uh, regularly. And unless they are quite well raised, they, they, they are generally removed. So there is a great divide there. And well, we do. Actually, I mean, so, so we do. We are enforcing the idea of politeness uh, throughout mm-hmm. the site. But I think the accept rate thing is uh, one of the sort of natural human uh, behaviors that communities, you know, use to police themselves. Essentially, like people glaring at you if you fail to stand in the queue properly for a bus in London. Mm-hmm. Not that that happened to me. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> so forth. Did you cut in front of people, Joel? I, 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 you know, it never occurred to me that you would line up for a bus. I mean, I understand lining up for tickets in a ticket booth or something. Actually, oh, you know, Joel, you, you and I had that, that exact experience. Like, we were getting tickets for the tube, and, like, you did something wrong, and, like, somebody was there and actually glared at you. I actually saw that happen. <laughs> I remember that very distinctly, actually, because the guy was really pissed, like, un, yeah. uh, like excessively pissed, actually. I was a little worried he was going to get, like, uh, angry. But, uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure what I was doing. I was trying to use it. No, you weren't doing anything wrong. You were just, you know, the typical guy that's not normally in London doing, you know, your thing. That's all. <laughs> uh, but I, I agree with Mark and uh, John that, you know, accept rate. One thing we've discussed internally is uh, replacing accept rate with something that's more like a general metric of, of how what kind of citizen this person is. Accept uh, mm-hmm. doesn't really capture everything that that defines whether you're sort of a good citizen or not like what you were saying joel's like are they are they civic minded like are they just taking are they are they giving a little bit back or it's kind of a proxy for that and i will say that one reason you have low accept rate is people who ask tons and tons of questions they Mm -hmm. ask so many questions that like they can't possibly accept because they're asking you know 20 questions a day they don't have time to think they're just typing as fast as they can type Um, (laughs) right and one thing we just recently did, and I don't know why it took us forever to realize this, we just capped the number of questions you can ask per day um, and also per month because we were like, who asks? Like, what's the value to us of somebody who asks or even to them? If you're asking six more than six questions a day, how much are you really thinking about each question before you ask? How much research could mm. you really have done? You know. So have you done a correlation at all between um, low accept rate and low quality of questions? Uh, not explicitly. I mean, the rationale for that initially was, I think, as I said, we were we were thinking like, what's how do you measure being civic minded? You know, and being civic minded is, as you ask questions, you consider, you know, was my question answered? You sort of get it resolved in some way. Um, and 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 a little bit of peer pressure is actually good to the point that it's rude, where it's you know people are you know work on your accept rate or get out of my face. Obviously, that's uh, that's not the intention of this. Um, so yeah. I think. We're and looking I think at just there has been a suggestion of making it the system being rude to you instead, as it were. Um, you know, if you've got a low accept rate, then when you ask a question, you know, pop up a box saying you should really work on your accept rate, whatever. Because um, somehow, it, if a computer is rude to you, it doesn't feel quite as bad. Um, this um, this brings up something which uh, uh, Bing Gordon uh, mentioned. He's a game famous game designer, and he's the head of electronic arts for a long time and and uh and uh some of us went to hear him speak about uh gamification uh which we are the pioneers practically in gamification but he said that uh a good game uh has a concept of a health meter right you have your health and it's a little meter that goes red and green and so or you know it's a little sort of dial and you try to stay at 100 percent health but sometimes you're willing to take a little hit and uh accept rate is uh, not a perfect proxy for health but 
um, there, there are certain things we could do that might be interesting, like let you uh, basically show you your health. The site, maybe the site stares to appear like with blood in the corners, like it does in a video game. Uh, until you get your set back up, or or even oh, just we should totally do the equivalent. Um, oh, what was that Wii game uh, or the GameCube game, uh, Eternal Darkness, where every so often you would get an insanity effect, and sort of the either there was a fake blue screen of death, or um, the whole thing would go black and white, or the controls would be reversed, or whatever. If we could change it so Zalga, that Zalga if you have a low accept rate, then it screws with your keyboard or something, that would be fun. <laughs> right. Well, I, I just want to say that the quality issue is incredibly... I mean, it's something like I worry about a lot, like every day. There's only really two things that keep me up at night. One is the fact that our database is enormous and getting larger all the time. Although I'm, I'm more confident with that now because we have sort of an army of people working on that problem. So the, at the database scales, I, I'm pretty confident we can at least keep up. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, and then the other one that keeps me up at night is the idea that as we get bigger, there's just a hot... We have big city problems. You know, like on the last podcast, I said, you know... You can't help every user. You know, it's not Mayberry anymore. We don't. You don't leave your doors unlocked. You know, it, it, we want it to be friendly. We want it to be civil, but there has to be a, a realism in the community that, like, this is a very large scale thing now. Very large, far larger than it was when we started, or even imagined it would get. And uh, some of the problems you have at scale, you have to react a little bit differently. Not in a rude way. Never in a rude way. But like, you you can't save every user. You know. So like, mm-hmm. essentially, you start turning people away in some way, like overtly. And, and this bothers some members of our community, and, and I, I respect where they're coming from. You know, the idea that hey, we want to help every user, but that's just not feasible at this scale anymore. So a lot of what we're doing with quality now is we're saying, okay, we're getting 3,600 questions per day. Uh, what percent of those do we not want to have? Like we just want to stop them sort of at the door. Like no solicitors, please. You know, <laughs> I mean, basically it's like that. It's like you put out signs that says, hey, thanks for stopping by, but you know what? We don't really have time to deal with traveling salesmen right now. <laughs> Um, and there's a variety of ways to do this, but um, and some of them are kind of secret <laughs> um, because we don't want the metrics gamed and, and the way we're looking at this gamed. Um, but the intention is very much like it, if we start driving away people like you, John, or I guess we can't drive Mark away because we hired him, so he's required to be here now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's sort of us hiring you and making you come to the site every day. You should come to the site voluntarily. And I've, I've said for a long time, and this comes up with Joel, quality is job one. Like you have to have high, a reasonable amount of quality on the site, or you're not mm-hmm. going to have experts because you know low quality, boring, do my work for me, monkey typing stuff is not really what they signed up for. I mean, it's okay if that happens occasionally, as you pointed out. I mean, you fix it or you deal with it. But uh, that's sort of a, actually a number one or number two priority for us now is trying to maintain quality as we grow, and we're having to get a lot stricter. Like, and a little bit I don't, mean it's not the right word, but just a lot stricter. We we don't necessarily have time to handhold every user to explain like, this is what you're doing wrong. Here's how you can improve. I mean, we have pages like we have, mm. and and John actually again John has written some fantastic <laughs> articles that that we've actually turned to for advice on like how to do things. Uh, like how to ask a good question, right? We have a, qu- a page, question slash how, how to ask, separated with dashes. I'll link that in the show notes. And we also have questions how to answer. So if we see problems with the way you're doing this, uh, sort of um, with some algorithmic stuff that we're doing, we will send you to those pages and say, hey, please read these pages. This will sort of tell you, um, you know, don't, don't go away mad. Go away learning how to become a better user, right? Yeah. And then come back when you're a better user. And one of the problems is that uh, my how to ask the perfect question or whatever it was, um, which I well remember writing in a soft play, uh, a play farm 
in deepest, darkest Suffolk. Um, one of the problems is it's very long because there are lots of things that it's worth getting right. Um, there's the golden rule of read your question, does it look reasonable to you if you forget everything that you already knew before? If you came to it as a new user, would you be able to understand your own question? And if the answer is no, then you need to edit it. Um, and really, if, you know, if you've got that right, then everything else follows. But there's, there's a lot of potential things. Um, I do wonder how much more algorithmic stuff could be done. So you know if you're using Gmail and you say, um, I've attached the spreadsheet with whatever, but you haven't got any attachments, um, then when you try to send, it'll say, whoa, I think you meant to put an attachment here. Do you really want to send it without an attachment? Um, and I would love it if we could do that for exceptions. So if it could spot it didn't work, and somehow do some kind of, I know sentiment analysis really hard and yeah, it's, it's tricky stuff, but if it didn't work or it threw an exception and you can tell that there isn't a stack trace there, um, then at least prompting in a very specific way, not just sort of go away and please try to write a better question, however nicely we can ask that, but very much you know, on the same page, can we just edit and we reckon you need an exception here. Um, something like that would be potentially helpful. We do a very limited form of that with ask, uh, with answering, actually, because there were a lot of answers that were like, thanks, this really helped me, you know, which isn't really an answer. Um, we appreciate the sentiment and all that, but it's not an answer. So we do some very rudimentary sort of detection. So when you when you get the, ooh, we don't think you're posting a good answer, maybe you should read this uh, page, mm -hmm. uh, it does, but like you said, sentiment analysis. It's like, how do you... <laughs> It's tricky, but we did see some definite patterns. I mean, like thanks or you know, various yeah. forms of thanks is quite easy to detect. Um, so we do some form of that. The other thing I might suggest there that we've we've sort of gone the direction of is um, autom well not automated but like sort of uh, the the value menu uh, theory of flagging, where when you flag a post now, there's a bunch of sort of default flag reasons and. All those flag reasons are there because you know each sort of category is, is sort of a common problem. So you don't have to think like, ooh, what do I type here? I want to flag this, but why am I flagging this? So rather than thinking, you just order value meal number five with with this you know curly fries. Um, right. So that's something that potentially you could flag. Say flag is you know incomplete basically doesn't include key information needed for me to actually yep. answer this. And then if none uh, of those flags I'm looking at a question now that's, can someone tell me what's wrong with this Java code? And remarkably, it contains the code, and it says the output looks like this. Thanks. Okay, so you've got the code, one thumbs up. You've even said what it does, two thumbs up. But what's wrong with it? We don't know what you meant. Um, and that would, that would be a particularly difficult one to do. Although, in the case of this question, it wasn't um, formatted properly to start with. And that's something I think either I've suggested or certainly upvoted on Meta, um, surely we can detect if someone's posted some code in a question, but it's not It's not being rendered as code. Um, uh, either because... Detect them you know, if the, the user has reputation one. Yeah, low rep is obviously a, a bad sign um, when it comes to new but, questions, statistically speaking. But surely we can work out what looks like it should be a code block um, you know, by keywords. If something's got plus plus in it, and maybe four open bracket, um, and that's not aligned so that it's ending up being rendered as code. That sounds like a bit of a hint. That's, I mean, you can see it's these tricky. things, but the, the nice thing is being able to say, oh, this is newbie, 
uh, I, I'm going to ignore them or I'm going to. Uh, in other words, if you clean that stuff up too automatically, then you lose the valuable signals that you were getting. Well, I don't think we want to clean it up so much as um, direct the user in a specific way and without them even losing the uh, leaving the page, say, it looks like you're posting some code. Um, maybe you should hit Control-K. Um, just before I forget, though, the other thing um, I wanted to ask Jeff was we've talked a lot about the quality of questions and worrying about whether that's going down. Um, do we have any metrics about the quality of answers or even any gut feelings about whether the answer quality is going up, down, indifferent? Because I I would sort of like to hope that over time it would go up because people get better at writing. I mean, we've, we've talked about the value of being able to express yourself confidently, uh, clearly, etc. We've, we've talked about that before. But I would hope that people are getting better at it and that that's one of the uses of Stack Overflow and that therefore the quality of answers should in some ways be getting better Obviously, we'll get new users all the time as well. Um, but yeah, have, have you noticed that going up? Well, the down? answer the answer rate has creeped up from about eighty percent to eighty two percent in the last six months. So I don't know if that just means that we're closing more bad questions or that we're answering a larger number of questions. Um, you know, honestly, with answers, I, I feel like it's always been done so well, and 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 the way the engine works and the community that we have does. There's just no one ever really complains outside of the obscure, you know, I asked a crazy question that nobody can really answer anyway. <laughs> nobody really yeah. complains that they're not getting answers. I mean, all the time, the number one thing we hear about Stack Overflow is like, I posted something, I got a great answer in like, you know, 10 minutes or two minutes or something ridiculous. Um, so answer, the speed of answers and answer quality has always been excellent. Like, I mean, I don't know how you go up from from excellent. I mean, I don't think it's degraded. Um, because I think that has scaled quite well with the community. It's like is the number of people answering. But I think the weird thing about questions is that questions are sort of the, the, the first thing you see, you know? And the more of them you have, in some ways, the worse it is. Like if you have just a flood of questions, like a flood of answers, like how bad would that really be? If you had too many answers, like even if some were low quality, they would just sort of go to the bottom of the pile because people vote on answers and, you know, answers near the bottom you don't need to look at. You can, you know, if you're a completionist, you can scroll down and see all the answers. But if someone puts a, a you know, a very mediocre answer on a question, it doesn't really hurt that much. Whereas if that same person put in a hundred very mediocre questions into the system, that's sort of the primary stream that's feeding everything. So everybody influenced sees this sort of thing floating down the river that's not pleasant, right? <laughs> Uh, so questions, I think, have a disproportionate influence on the system, which is why we, we focus on them uh, so much now um, in, in, in terms of how we're handling them and, and how, they're, how they're, you know, quality checks and stuff like that. But, you know, to answer your question, like, uh, no. I mean, I, I think answers are working so well that we just don't think about it a, a lot. Um, we, of course, do. Um, people do flag bad answers, and we constantly remove. I would say with answers, it's more the thanks answer the I have the same problem answer, you know, the answers that just aren't really answers. You know, somebody's sort of misunderstanding how our system works and they're treating it like a bulletin board system. Um, there's probably been more of that. But then again, the flagging reasons have improved for that. It's actually faster for us as moderators to handle those flags. We can convert answers into comments now. That's relatively new. People ask for that for a long, long time. Um, so it's sort of a 1.5-ish click affair to take an answer and convert it into a comment, assuming it has something meaningful. A lot of times, 
those sort of things just aren't meaningful, so I just delete them. But if it has some nugget of information that's actually useful, I will convert it to a comment so that it's not lost um, on the question and answer pair. Is there a uh, a short click form for convert this answer to a closes duplicate? So detect that the answer contains a single uh, sentence that just refers to another Stack Overflow question. Um, so so basically convert convert an answer. You know, my I don't really like that a little bit. That's I guess you could make this argument about about converting an answer to a comment as well. But that's a little bit like backdooring. Somebody didn't think through the system enough to actually ask the question through the proper channels. So unless it is astoundingly good, which given the way it's been entered is very unlikely in my experience, um, I will not do that because I feel like it's it's on the user's responsibility um, to put things uh, rem- vaguely in the correct place. And if mm-hmm. they're not clueful enough to sort of at least partially figure it out, then it's unlikely that I will do them the favor of actually converting that into a question. In fact, there's, there's no way to do that in the system right now. But I, I don't think I would support that for that reason. Um, I, I'm all for you, like, teaching this. Like, hey, you know, if you have a question here, please click ask no, question. No, 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 um, not asking a question, but if an answer just contains see this post and then a link to a Stack Overflow question, that surely suggests that it should be, instead of being either a comment or an answer, it should be a vote to close as duplicate of that question. I do say that occasionally. We don't have special handling for that. But the flagging dialog allows even, like, it takes 15 rep to flag, to be clear. With 15 rep, you can flag as duplicate now and specifically indicate that this is a duplicate of this other question. So even if you can't, like, close, um, you, there should be really no reason to post it as an answer. I mean, you can. It doesn't, oh, certainly. It, it's, it's marginally helpful. I don't, it, there's much worse things you can do. Um, so I, I'm not totally against it, but I would really encourage people to use flag. The flag dialog is quite good. One of the reasons we have such a high volume of flags now is we made flagging so friendly. You know, it's, it's, it sort of walks you through, it holds your hand, and uh, it's not scary like it used to be. Like, we made flagging intentionally scary for a long time. Like, mm-hmm. it has a big red dialog. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, you're going to flag this. Oh no, you know, klaxons start going off and alarm bells. Like, are you sure you want to flag this? This is really The bad, entire man. train will stop. Yes, you're going to stop getting flag less than most high rep users, actually. Um, yeah. So I'm just looking at my profile. I have a flag weight of 225. Um, I do lots of vote for close. Um, but yeah, it, something really has to get my goat before I'll flag things. Well, I assure you there's been a two orders of magnitude increase in flagging, which we've been actually struggling with. Um, uh, handling that's part of the reason this comes up. But for good reasons. People are really flagging things. In fact, Mark, feel free to chime in, but like I know Mark handles a lot of flags. I handle a lot of flags. I've been urging some of the New York devs to actually pitch in and handle flags, as we call it, sort of work in the salt mines, because we want the flagging experience to be really good, because the signals we're getting, and actually Joel is always nagging me about this Bayesian stuff, and uh, like how we could do Bayesian inference of like you know a good question versus a bad question, and you know, or or just does this question even belong here? Um, and for a long time, I don't think we had enough signals because people don't vote on questions, as we've established, right, time and time again. But the, they do flag like crazy. Like, we are seeing really good flag activity. So, Joel, like, that might actually have some potential, Joel, if we fed yeah. it through flag. I, I have because- a question. Didn't, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Matt Howie, Metafilter, say that at some point they started uh, not even looking at flags until you got two or three of them? Or I don't know. But see, that's that's the trick. Is like even though we have tons of flagging now, one flag is a lot. Like one flag is is enough. You, you have it, a nice. It's partner. almost always right. Exactly. It, yeah. With one exception, we do see a lot of really bad flagging on comments, 
And I think, to show you how subtle some of this stuff is, I think the reason flagging on comments has such a low hit rate, like I'm constantly looking at comment flags and going, you know, invalid, 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 because people just flag stuff they don't agree with, or there's nothing really wrong with comments. Like, I don't agree with this. Or if it's rude, now, John, in the case where I do see accept rate, if I ever see those flagged, I instantly delete them, to be be clear. Like, I know that there's no confusion there whatsoever. Um, But I think the problem, the weakness there, Joel, is we're not Mm -hmm. asking them to enter anything. So it's a zero friction activity. They just click, 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 click. They flag like five comments that, that you know, piss them off or whatever. Um, we're looking at requiring them to actually enter some sort of description or have a little, you know, a, you know, a value menu of, of picking like, why are you flagging this comment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that will really help the flag quality on comments. Uh, but that's sort of how subtle this stuff is. Like, I mean, if, if you provide the wrong signpost, you get bad data that's kind of unusable, you know? And I think we're only just now getting enough flagging that I think we could actually maybe do some sort of potentially Bayesian work based on flags because we do tend to agree with all the flags that we see. Like, there's usually something wrong. Like, anytime I see something flagged, it's really rare for there to be just absolutely nothing wrong with that post. Um, it might be- I, I think one of the reasons that it's so hard to deal with these flags, Jeff, and this is sort of inside baseball because internally at Stack Exchange we've been talking about how do we make it easier for moderators to deal with flags and there's always a big queue of flags that need to be addressed. And um, uh, several of us, I think, have noticed that it's just really uh, confusing as a moderator to figure out what the heck is going on. When you see something has been flagged, sometimes it's hard to tell which comment is being flagged and and what you're supposed to do and and really what what you would do if you agreed with the flag and what you wouldn't do. So I think um, there's a little bit of user interface improvements could be made there, which would encourage moderators to to, um, uh, clean up a little bit more. Oh, totally. And I mean, wait, Mark. You're, you're the not, moderators you're still... are discussing those now. We're we're working on it. It's iterative. Okay, good. Yeah. 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 No. No. There's no question that I think the UI for the user is great. We actually fixed that first, and, and I think now we got to improve the UI even further for for us. Um, but but it is a really information dense decision making process, right? Like. It can sure. be very subtle, some of the things that are wrong with these posts. Like, there's an argument between two users. I mean, think about that. Like, I have to figure out, is this really an argument? Or are they having a technical discussion? Do I even understand what they're talking about? Right. Um, and, and when Joel starts talking about, and if you check the uh, Stack Exchange blog, we are looking at, you know, uh, Stack Exchanges in different languages. And one of the things that really gives me pause about that is, like, I couldn't even tell you if two people were having uh, an argument on the site. Now, granted, we would have moderators that understood the language, et cetera, et cetera, but I, I, it makes me nervous to be disconnected where I can't tell what's going on. And But that's the kind of time it takes. So every time something is flagged, you have to think. I mean, it's unavoidable. It's like, you know, the, the rule, don't make me think. Well, you have to think. I mean, that's entirely the point of the flag. It's like, I want a moderator to think about this. Um, and, and it does make the system better. I mean, I'm unapologetically... unapologetically optimizing for flagging now because we've gotten we've cleaned up so much stuff and you know John like I was saying quality a, a, a rapid depreciation in quality is, is what sort of thing would kill us that's one of the Absolutely. most dangerous things yeah. that could happen to us so we're very very serious about this and even though it's a tremendous amount of work and it's hard it's really hard to get this right um, I'm totally willing to spend all the time it takes to, to, to make it work because I mean quality without quality you have nothing it's like there's no reason for people to come to the site if it just degrades into a bunch of you know, people who can't type sort of yelling at each other. 
Have you done the just obscuring um, all the answers with huge, great amounts of questions, sorry, of uh, adverts, so that they have to scroll down a really long way? Because I think some other site might have tried that to, as a way of improving the quality of answers, but I'm not sure how well it worked. <laughs> exactly. That, uh, that, well, one of the things that I've been thinking about is a lot of lo low quality appears to be caused by people who don't speak English very well. And what's interesting is a lot of times they are actually writing low quality answers or questions, even though, so it's, it's a combination of the fact that they're not expressing it well in English because it's not their first language, combined with the fact that it is actually um, devoid of meaning or, or, or sense, you know, even if it were written perfectly. And so uh, it's sort of an interesting research project, which I'd love to see somebody do if, if any of our listeners are interested in playing with our database. Uh, it seems to me like a really interesting research project would be um, you know, to what extent are questions and answers invalidly penalized for being written in um, not very good English, and to what extent are they validly criticized? Uh, you know, in other words, to, to what extent would it, rewriting the English not even not even help? Uh, because I think that there's a there's sort of two things here. One is there's a large number of non-English speakers that would actually um, you know we would probably benefit from getting them off the site onto another site of people who speak whatever language they're fluent in. And the other is that, um, you know, we might get higher quality answers and higher quality questions and higher perceived quality answers and questions if um, people took the time to improve English, you know, just sort of edit the English and make it a little bit better. I think it's, they're usually I find it very good. interesting seeing how different cultures use the language differently. And some of this has been covered on the English Stack Exchange. Um, in particular, um, I even used it in a sermon recently. Um, the liturgy, uh, the lectionary for not this Sunday just gone, but the previous Sunday was Doubting Thomas, um, at least in the, the UK lectionary. And I used the fact that people, uh, I believe it's from India, I could be wrong, um, often use, I have a doubt about Windows Forms or whatever, when they actually mean, I have a question about. And you can sort of see where it comes from, but it, it's it's a very... Uh, culturally distinct way of using the word doubt, and I went into you know people having doubt about uh, about their faith versus people having questions about their faith, and you know, went into all kinds of different things. But you see that kind of thing. You see people replying, uh, asking questions, saying, "How do I deal with a lack of requests?" Where that's lack, L A K H, meaning a hundred thousand. <laughs> Again, only in Indian. Um, yeah. So I find that kind of thing fascinating. Please do the need needly or something. Please do the needful. Please do the needful. Yes, I see that the all needful. the time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, to answer your question, Joel, I think actually because I think this might be more difficult on other sites because there's a technical core to these questions mm -hmm. that's really almost language independent. I mean, literally, like it's you know, give us like like John was saying at the top of the call, like give me an error, give me the code, give me some stuff to hang your words around, right? So you can almost throw the words away, almost not quite. I mean, the words are there for a reason; they're very helpful, but. If you have the code, if you have the error, if you have sort of can guess their intent, I've seen like the, the psychic thing where they sort of figure out what the problem is without even explicitly being told, which is amazing, by the way. I love um, psychic debugging. It's brilliant. Uh, it, um, it's brilliant. Phrase, I, I, as far as I'm aware, Eric Lippert coined the phrase um, in the case of iterator blocks. So he will get an email from someone saying, why isn't my code running? I have some unit test that should go bang if I don't do, you know, if I pass in a null argument to this method. 
And he says, ah, I shall apply my psychic debugging crystal wall. It's an iterator block, isn't it? You've passed in null, but you've ignored the return part. Yeah, you get things like that. It's tremendously satisfying, which is not a good excuse for writing a bad question, of course. You know, oh, I just wanted to test your psychic debugging skills. But it is great when it works. It, but it, again, it shows off the, the brilliance of the people answering, right? Like, I mean, Eric Lippert, I mean, he's a genius. That's great. But yeah. even like the average Stack Overflow user does a tremendous job answering questions that really shouldn't be answered. Like, I'm, I have one on my screen right now called, the title is SQL Backup Need. The entire text of the question is, and it's all, every word is in, is in initial caps. I want mm -hmm. to take backup of database within my local drive. How could I do that? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> this is not really a question <laughs> that should be answered, in my opinion. And actually, to be honest with you, and not to reveal some algorithms, this would not, as of today, this question could not exist on Stack Overflow uh, without some really crazy things happening. Um, that's how low quality is. But it got two reasonable answers. So it was think the question, about what how do you back up SQL Server, right? It was, how do I, I want to take backup of database within my local yeah. drive. Who knows? I don't know what the question is. I mean, okay. it, uh, you know. That was what I was talking about when I was talking about canonical questions, which is edit the question to say, how do I back up SQL Server? And then write a, a summary, a one-page summary of all the different strategies for backing up SQL Server. If we don't already have one, hopefully we will. And until the end of time, everything else gets closed as a duplicate of well, that. Now we have a great you, page. That's fine, but this is just it's not even programming, Joel. This is not even on topic for the site. Besides okay. the fact that this shouldn't even be asked. Fine. It's off topic. <laughs> it has every, almost every problem you can think of as sort of being actual spam. And it got yeah. four comments, of which two are actually useful. Um, two answers that are moderately useful. Think about what you're teaching the user, John. What, what is the user learning from this experience? I can ask the worst possible question, put no effort into it whatsoever, and I'll get and what still I want. get. Yeah, this is um, really I, bad. I, I tend to. It's a fine line between answering, and particularly when it comes to homework questions, um, and people can have different ideas of how well you've done this. Um, sort of. Give a hint about where you th should be thinking um, without giving the actual answer. And in some ways, giving people hints about asking better questions is sort of similar. You don't want to make it too easy because um, people will never improve. Um, but at the same time, I think if I had to have a choice of is this person going to end up getting helped or not, I would rather they ended up helped and could get on with their life um, than just getting frustrated. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm too soft. Well, I, I think it depends. It's, you know, I don't want to project because, I mean, I think people can have different ranges of feeling on this that are still valid. Um, but I think everybody has to accept the idea like, look, we cannot help everyone. That's, 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 everyone will go crazy. Everyone will end up hating the system, they'll end up hating themselves. This is a recipe for unhappiness. Like, you're, the idea that you're never going to discard anything. You know, where you, you know, put that slider, you know, that's, that's completely up to you. Um, but this is the kind of stuff we're, we're certainly looking very, very heavily at uh, as we move forward. But, Joel, I think that's probably enough on – we don't get – I know Joel was always complaining. It's like it's too inside cricket now. You know? <laughs> cricket. <laughs> it's too inside cricket. We can't say baseball. Because remember, remember we had the last podcast right. with I do. I do. And but no one understood I, what Joel was going on about. <laughs> I do want to – let me close. And now you're the only one who's not in the UK, Jeff. So you should wow. be saying inside baseball. And everyone else should be saying inside cricket or, for my preference, inside croquet which is an uh, evil, evil, and wonderful game. And now, 
I, uh, why isn't that I don't know if you listened to the last to podcast with Scott Hanselman, but we were having a little bit of discussion about, you know, some stuff that goes on in the system. And, and Scott's like, you know, why should I care? Like, as a user, like, this is too inside baseball. Like, I don't care about all these little details you're talking about, like how the system works, so it does. It's the Stack um, Exchange podcast. That's why people are listening, from my uh, point of it, view. It is, but I want to emphasize, like, it's the final result that's important. You know, it's, it's that you go to Stack Overflow and you don't have to see questions like, SQL backup need. I want to take backup of database. <laughs> because that's not really helping anyone. I mean, other than maybe that one person, that one second. Um, you want to have a good experience. You want to have a high signal-to-noise ratio. And, and this stuff takes protection. You know, this takes active work and active thinking. Like, how do we get this to work? Um, and I think it really does depend on how you balance the, if you help one person, is that a good thing or not? So it's taking up space. You know, what you were saying before about the you know, dross on the front page is obviously a bad thing. Um but I'm reminded of that line in Schindler's List, which I'm not sure how accurately it quotes the Torah, because I think I checked it out one time. But the, uh, he who saves the life of one saves the world entire. I think, yeah, if I can help someone, if I can save an hour of someone's time with a minute of my time, even if it never helps anyone else, it feels like that's a good deal to me. It can be. I mean, you know, it's different for every person. But I would argue that some of these people, like, haven't even tried. To help I know, them. I know. And, and that's, you know, the, you, you got to help yourself first, you know. I mean, that's one of the lessons of life. Um, and and... Uh, Spotting things that are completely unanswerable and, and try sometimes trying to uh, kind of guide that user and tell them how they, could, how they could improve it. But often you just won't see that user come back ever to revise it, you know. You... you yeah, there's something about the way that actual people who have never met each other would would solve a problem in real life, which is sort of more tentative. So there's something unnatural about saying, here's my entire problem, here's all the research I've done to date, can you please help me with this, and then getting a complete answer. The more natural thing would be like, hmm, that's strange. What's strange? Well, I'm having a problem. Maybe I can help you with that. Uh, well, this thing should be working. It isn't working. Well, what were you expecting? So you know, humans would normally have that sort of I want to call it like escalation, sort of like dogs sniffing each other in the park before they start playing. Uh, a little bit of escalation just to make sure that the other person is engaged. And so that may be one of the reasons we have people come and ask stupid questions that we consider to be you know, non-homework answered questions, which is they're new to the site and they want to see if they can even get a conversation going, if anybody even cares about these words that they're typing onto this page before uh, they're willing to type the entire four-paragraph uh, Thing. Well, you got to be careful there because there actually are sites that do that. It's more in, an instant message Q&A type system mm -hmm. where you start with and they try to tease out like what you need, but it's a different kind of interaction. Uh, I mean, what you described sure. is very like back and forth. I mean, that's a, that's a fine model actually, but it's not really our model. You know, it's not that granular. It's not that conversational. It could be. There are sites that do this. I'm trying to remember the name of one that does this. Oh gosh, it's some crazy name, but it's an instant messaging type system. I'm going to I'm going to try to look that up in the background while we... But, but let's move on, Joel, to some other topic. Okay. Did you have... Um, well, so that's enough of that conversation. Um, what, what, uh, what's the news of uh, the week, I guess? That's the next thing. I've, I'll, I'll, I'll talk since Jeff is uh, working on... Uh, um, we are um, uh, deep in the planning for Stack Overflow Dev Days 2011. Uh, maybe we should use a different name because it's not a day anymore. And Dev Days, kind of everybody has that name of their conference. So whatever the Stack Overflow conferences are, today I went to two venues um, in the outskirts of London, which we could potentially use. We're expecting 1,200 people for the London version. And so um, there's a very, very limited number of uh, conference centers that can hold that many people. 
So I went to two, and I think we picked one. Um, although I, I guess if I announce this on the podcast and they find out, then their prices will all be jacked up. So I'm not going to announce which which venue it is, but it's very close to the uh, London City Airport, and that should be enough of a hint. Uh, I did figure it out while you were talking. Cha-cha.com? Cha-cha, yes. Uh, it's a very different experience, but it's that conversational. It's like, okay, you sort of get instantly connected with somebody, and you IM, and they try to tease out what your problem is, and you don't have to think. They just lead you with the next question. It's it's very hands-on. It's just a little bit different than our model. It's not wrong, per se, but actually, Joe, yeah. you should probably try this site. Like, You should literally go they on have, the site um, and actually ask a question and see how this works. Because you just uh, talk Absolutely monumental amounts of traffic, and they're, um, they also uh, work very well in mobile. Yeah. So if you want to see the alternative, like I mean, we have a chat system, obviously, chat.stackoverflow.com, chat.stackexchange. So you're welcome to go there. Um, but if you want a more constrained experience, you should try ChaCha just to see what's going on there. I'm going to warn you, Joel, that it does veer heavily into the entertainment side of the things. Yes. Here's a question. How is your boyfriend? And the answer is, well, I haven't really spoken to him since Saturday night, so I hope he's well. <laughs> but I don't actually know. But I think that's the risk of those sort of inter- exchanges. If if you actually allow the sort of like, oh, I ask you this, you reply with this, I ask you this, and and there's just it it can devolve really rapidly into people chatting. <laughs> that's not really that surprising to me. Part of the reason we say, Joel, look, come to us with a problem, define your problem, is we're trying to avoid all the conversational stuff and the discussiony stuff that sort of gets in the way. And you just, as Joel, you just came and said, oh, I like to have a discussion when I have a problem. And we're like, okay, mm-hmm. you can do that. <laughs> The risk is really high. If you're really disciplined, you might be able to get it to work. But I don't know. That's just not our model. But do check out like cha-cha.com and you know. These are you think. a lot of times. I you know when I see people using a system incorrectly, I always sort of ask, you know, what are they expecting? You know, maybe they're just used to a different, you know, a world that works a little bit differently. Well, let's talk about John. What John's been working on. I mean, John, aren't you? What, what stuff have you been into lately? I know you get excited when you find compiler bugs. I saw that. Uh, I get very excited about um, the async stuff in C Sharp 5 at the moment. Um, that's my current um, excitement. So around Christmas, I um, had a somewhat insane project called EduLink, which was um, re-implementing linked objects um, for fun and blogging about every single operator in linked objects. Um, oh, yeah, that was awesome. That was very cool. It was it was so much fun, and um, I managed to spend an insane amount of time writing over Christmas. Um, and I've recently started doing the same thing with the async support. So uh, C Sharp 5 does funky things, building state machines for you um, for asynchronous programming. And obviously there's a compiler bit, and there's also um, a library part, which is currently in asyncctplibrary.dll. So I've started implementing some bits of asyncctplibrary.dll and blogging about that just so that we can see what's going on behind the scenes. You know, it's worth mentioning that I don't actually write any .NET applications. Um, the last application I wrote, sort of proper application, was um, the Google Windows Phone 7 search app. So I like seeing how things work under the hood. I very rarely actually use the things. So in some ways, I'm a really bad person to be answering C-sharp questions, but yeah, there we go. Um, my my latest hobby is annoying people when I go and talk about C-sharp by saying, you know, I'm a C-sharp hobby developer. Um, and they start looking sheepish or cross with me or whatever. Um, but yeah, so the, the C-sharp 5 stuff is very exciting at the moment. And I just, uh, last night and 
this evening managed to get it doing single-threaded coroutines. So where you've got two different methods and or, or more than two methods and execution sort of ping-pongs between them um, in the way that if you did it naively and made normal calls from one to the other, back to the first, to the second, back to the first, etc., you'd end up with a huge stack and indeed a pseudonymous uh, stack overflow. Um, and you can do that without costing any stack. Um, using the the async stuff, or rather abusing the async stuff, and it's a really horrible thing to do, but the kind of thing I enjoy doing. Um, so that's <laughs> kind of what I've been up to um, <laughs> recently, and I need to start doing some more of it. And I'm also recording C sharp um, screencasts with TechPub, which is a lot of fun doing that with Rob Connery. I tried recording one of them on my own, but it works so much better when Rob's sort of prodding me with, "Oh, have you thought about doing this? Or what happens if we try this?" Um, so that's that's a lot of fun too. But uh, Coming back to dev days for a minute, um, I had a, a question really for all the listeners, which was if I were to end up speaking at the London dev days, which looking on the meta question, um, dumby dum dum. Seems rather uh, inevitable, doesn't it? <laughs> well, you know, I would like to, very much like to. So, um, meta question. Eight nine seven two eight is help choose the speakers and talks for Dev Days twenty eleven, and it's actually um, that question isn't about picking the speakers; it's about picking the moderators. Um, but there's a comment with twenty three upvotes saying we want John Skeet, which is lovely, and I think you're all insane and things. Um, but the odd thing is that looking at the other questions saying what topics do people want, they're almost all webby stuff, uh, mm -hmm. web and NoSQL and the kind of things that I don't do at all. So I would be kind of interested if people would say in the comments to the podcast, if people want me to speak and they, I assume that they'd like me to speak on something I know about. Um, so that won't be a webby thing. It won't be node.js or jQuery or Python or Ruby or all of these um, fashionable things. Um, what do people want me to talk about? <laughs> it's, it's kind of weird. What did Maybe you talk actually... about last time? You open Humanity a topic fail. That was time zone stuff, wasn't it? As well as the uh, time, so it? it was text, numbers, and times. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that, um, and and this is, uh, we still haven't actually chosen these uh, um, curriculum committees yet, but I, I'm I'm certain that they uh, will merely use these this topic list as a general guideline and uh, and and not as a way to sort of enforce who's going to speak or not. I think that. John, you can speak about anything you want. Well, come listen to it happily. But that's public, mad. I just, I don't understand you people in general. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I'm happy to talk about anything people want me to talk about, particularly around C-sharp stuff. Oh, we have, uh, I didn't mention earlier on, Jeff, uh, we actually have a live studio audience of one um, who has a comment now. Hang on a sec. Here's Tom. Just had a thought, maybe a John Skeet medley. Have a 10 minutes on this, 10 minutes on that. Oh, it's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I can. I, in fact, I, I'm you know speaking. You know what? I think tips and tricks is always slightly uh, similar. Like a tips and tricks, like sort of top ten John Skeet interesting things would actually be quite cool. Just a mm -hmm. random idea. I mean, a lot of times the medley is, I think, riffing on the same theme. Usually, those are yeah. really cool. And then it's just nuggets well, of information that you can absorb. I, I tend to go from extremes. One of the things I recently did a podcast on. It was meant to be. 
the top 10 or 15 mistakes and we actually ended up only going through about three of them in an hour and a half you know, what things does everyone get wrong which is another whole blog series i'm going to do at some point um so having done edulink and now doing eduasync i want to do edufail um you know we fail so you don't have to um things like you're using random in the wrong way and you know, you're capturing variables in a um in lambda expressions from a loop etc um so I do that sort of thing, which is actually quite basic. And my guess is that a dev data audience would know all about those things anyway. Um, I could do I evil code. No, I, 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 I don't know that that's entirely true. I wouldn't aim for like expert, expert. Like I, like a lot of times at these conferences, what I find is you don't want it to be beginner level. Obviously, that would be crazy. But just an intermediate level. Um, and, and as long as people remember one thing from each talk, <laughs> that's usually a sign of a successful talk. Um, I, I would sort of look at it that way. Maybe intermediate level and just focus on, you know, the, the, the key bits that they can sort of take away from it that aren't maybe intuitive, you know. I've sort of stopped guessing what actually makes a, a useful talk um, because I've become convinced that people don't actually, whatever people say, they're going to the conference to get valuable training. You should absolutely send me to this conference and pay for it and things. Um, I think people actually go to get, be entertained as much as anything else. Oh, of course. Um, and then the, ideally if they learn sort of one or two things, that's sort of the goal. Yeah, or, or, but, you know, or even not learn but are inspired to look further because um, you're not going to learn anything in a talk that you couldn't actually learn if you happen to look at the right book or whatever um, you or the right tutorial. You could learn right. the same thing probably faster, not in a talk. But if a talk sort of grabs your interest and says, ah, okay, that sounds like something that would be useful to me, so I will therefore go and learn more about it offline. And That's you know what? You can hope for. I wonder, Mark, you know, I don't want to put Mark on the spot, but Mark could probably issue a small talk as well. Um, He's been requested. Oh, yes. oh yeah. Uh, with eight comment upvotes with Mark Gravel and maybe Bialfa, if he's attending, or Balfa, I'm assuming it's Bialfa, whatever. Um, uh, be interested in talking about how they implemented chat. It would be a good fit thematically. Oh, that would be awesome. Actually, that's a really good idea uh, of, of just cool. the chat. And you see, that's kind of practical. I don't do practical yeah. things. This, is, this goes back to me being a <laughs> hobbyist. So I do evil I don't code. Do practical I would things. like to demonstrate my coroutine stuff and say, yes. you should not use any of this code, but isn't it cool? Right. Right. Well, I, I think there's plenty of practical stuff there. But Mark, did you have any uh, thoughts on that? Did you want to mic? Uh, it could work. I'm just trying to think how, to, how we would uh, coordinate them um, getting that ready with uh, in you know, different countries and different time zones. But, but, uh, we've... Oh, you guys are like what one hour apart? Come on, is that even yeah, no, that, yeah. I'm, I'm sure we can put something together <laughs> if if, uh, if that's what the committee feels would be useful. Yeah, well, that would uh, I would be very much in support of that because there's certainly lots of questions about you know how was chat implemented, how does it work, and you know the opportunity to sort of toot our own horn about chat because chat is awesome and. You know, it doesn't quite get enough promotion yet, and we aren't actually promoting chat on Stack Overflow yet because see, we're the problem, the problem is John isn't there. You see, if if John was there, <laughs> I was about to say I sadly don't use chat nearly as much as I probably should. Um, well, it, it's a, it's a different thing. It's not really intended to be. You know, if you aren't participating, you're you're sort of doing it wrong at all. It's it's a different experience for almost a different audience in a lot of ways. So don't feel bad about that even a little. Uh, but I think it would be cool to to have us you know be able to, to to explain it to people and publicize it a little bit and also it's a very cool project i mean it was built in basically six months and we're, we're very it's proud awesome of it so you know it appeals to me in the abstract i love the idea of being on chat 
Um, and the implementation is fab. It's just somehow I just get distracted by the questions again. Right. Um, well, right. Know. That's right. One of the it's, nice things about as we're recording this podcast here is Mark is not looking at Stack Overflow, which means I've got free reign over the C sharp questions. <laughs> well, we already we already took out Nick for you. You should be thanking us. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm just waiting for you to hire Darren as well. Because <laughs> um, I reckon at the current rate, um, I think he'll catch up in about 10 or 11 years, which is kind of worrying. <laughs> You're going to make sure he's on Stack Overflow Careers and keep forwarding the URL to us. <laughs> Have you looked at him? He seems like a really smart programmer. You should totally talk to this guy. Yeah. But yes, this has not so far been a good week for me. I'm currently languishing in eighth place in the weekly rankings. And I noticed I heard that little dig from Scott Hanselman last week saying about how everyone's <laughs> kicking my butt. <laughs> That's right. I swear this has been since I've been burgled. So I now oh, yeah, have a Chrome oh. OS laptop that I use on the train instead of my previous trusty Samsung NC10. And um, I went up to the dev channel of Chrome OS. And since doing that, my 3G connection has not been all it should be. So I'm waiting to be kicked back to the beta channel um, which was working a lot better. But it does mean that I can't actually compile anything. Um, so, you know, I have a web browser and that's all. And there is, there's a, a kind of funky site called compiler.com. So if you imagine like Tumblr and whatever, so you take out the E of compiler. And uh, Mark and yeah. I were just looking at this earlier on. And you do get to build a Java or C Sharp, or let me just have a look. Um, there are various other languages supported. Um, PHP, I just got an email C, from those C++, guys. Ruby, Java, C Sharp, and VB. Um, and it lets you compile stuff online, which is cool. Um, unfortunately, it won't currently let you run it unless it's a Java applet. Um, so it'll, it'll let you preview a Java applet. But I was thinking, if this actually did, um, if you could integrate this with Stack Overflow and if it let you also run the code, it would be absolutely awesome. So when you're asking the question, right, why don't you create a small compiler um, uh, sample of code and then people can run it and then in the answer you can have a compiler project and say well you know people do ask work. people do ask for this i think it's a little crazy but if it was an outsourced service where you could embed a widget that like lets yeah. you actually run the code that actually would be kind of cool these guys just emailed me like two days ago uh, and i was like well yes, i don't have ditto. time yeah. to look at this unfortunately but and also joel i noticed that it's copyright yep. 2011 ninja otter inc so this is That's a formidable funny. This is a formidable I think that's thing. a fabulous name. Yes. Well, now that <laughs> I know it's Ninja by Otter. Ninja Otter, I'm actually more inclined to look at it because, I mean, Ninja Otters, that's not something that you really see. It's a Nova day. Scotia marketing and development firm with a passion. Really? No, compiler. C-O-M-P-I-L-E-R. Yeah, yeah, C-O-M-P-I-L-E-R. But search for Ninja Otter. They're, they're in Nova Scotia. Oh, Ninja Otter. Um, oh, Ninja Otter. My only problem with it is the, the sort of dissonance between uh, having a vowel at, at the end of Ninja and at the start of Otter. Um, sort of ninja beaver. I guess that might have um, bad overtones, um, but you know <laughs> some some other appropriate animal. Um, yes, that doesn't start uh, with a vowel. Ninja groundhog. <laughs> I don't. Know. Awesome. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, yeah. But yeah, if if that were integratable, um, it would be a fabulous idea. I mean, that's sort of going one level beyond something I've asked for a few times, and you know, I'm not I'm not pushing it anymore. Um, for being able to search for documentation for links to make it just really quick to give an MSDN or Java doc or whatever reference, um, right. something integrated within. If we could be a whole IDE integrated within 
giving an answer. I don't know. As you say, probably overkill. Certainly overkill from a Stack Exchange point of view. If Stack Overflow were the entirety of life um, for the company, well, then and before we go, I, one final thing I did want to touch on is like, what other Stack Exchanges uh, do you participate on, John? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> well, um, Meta. So I, I used to be on Moms for Mom a while ago, yes. which are now I think on OSQA. I can't remember for sure. Um, yes, that's true. And. I briefly went in the web apps one, but I just find I haven't got time because uh, something else keeps on sucking the way the rest of my life. Um, yeah, I can't imagine what it might be. Um, yeah, <laughs> simply you know, nothing else appeals as much as Stack Overflow itself. Well, I'm actually looking at your accounts tab on your user page, and I can see you're active on a couple sites. And actually, we have a last seen date here now, so you can sort uh -huh. of see when people are sort of actually on the site. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's totally fair. That's totally fair. But um, I, I, and and I just want to point out that like uh, Joel and I actually do participate on, uh, given that it's kind of our jobs. <laughs> but we <laughs> participate because we like it too. Like for example, I want to give a good example of parenting.stackexchange. I was very proud. Actually, I was actually more proud of this parenting answer than I've been of like any of my Stack Overflow answers because it was about toddlers having tantrums and how you deal with it. And given that I have a two-year-old and, you know, two-year-olds kind of have caveman brain, they don't really think through anything. <laughs> it's like all emotion. It's all at the top. It's like, ah, this is the worst thing ever. So it's kind of hard to deal with them, right? It's kind of freaks you out. And I had a really nice answer to how you deal with um, tantrums that I, I thought was very well said. And it got 21 upvotes, which was very gratifying. But the most gratifying thing was the guy who asked came back and said, we tried this with our child and it really worked. Thank you. And I was like, I felt so good about that. I was like, you know, mm. I mean, it's one thing to solve code problems, but solving human being problems, that's like the holy grail. Yeah. You know, so looking at I was Moms very proud Mom, of that. Um, I'm still on the, the front page of the Moms for Mom user list. Um, I got 4,200-odd there. Um, and one of the questions I asked was, how could I stop shouting at my children? It's, as you say, they're, they're difficult problems. Um, right. And unanswerable at yeah. some level. So, like, you need help. It's like I've never felt more in need of people helping me like I'm, I'm sort of like I'll just do everything myself kind of guy like I don't really want help in a lot of ways uh, but this is one of those situations where like all of a sudden I almost broke down I was like I really need help like I need other human yeah. beings to help me yeah. figure this out because I don't it, this is too hard it's so. weird that parenting is one of those things where it's probably the single activity that uh, I guess eating and sleeping that the largest proportion of the human race does um, that is also so mind-bogglingly difficult and I, I was just looking at my account. I'm amazed to see I actually had 80 answers on Moms for Mom, whereas on wow. Super User and Server Fault, um, let's just have a look. I think I've got rather less. Um, seven, uh, 54 answers, 80, seven questions on Super User. Yeah. And 19 uh, answers. In, so definitely you are more active on Moms for Moms than any other, yeah. you know, um, other site. But the weird thing I, actually... It's quite sad, actually, looking at server fault, which I haven't been to for ages. I'm still in the top 11% overall. <laughs> it's a very long crazy. tail. Yeah. It's a very long tail. Um, I mean, Scott Hanselman uh, was complaining that he's in the top N, right? And he's, you know, yeah. yeah. It's just it's a very long tail. If you come by and do anything, you're already in the top, like, 50%. Right. <laughs> so that's where it is. Dole, did you have All anything right. else you wanted to no, add? No, we've gone kind of long, so I think we're going to sign out now. Um, okay. So uh, that, that, that is the end. This, this is from the leafy suburb of Tilehurst in the Royal County of Berkshire. 
It uh, sounds very nice. It sounds very pleasant. Just those words sound very pleasant. I'm soothed. It is. And we must take a photo of... We have a, we have a papier-mâché dragon um, sitting Ooh. next to us at the moment. Um, it was our twins' nice. uh, fifth birthday party over the weekend. Um, I want a picture of you and Joel with that. And yeah, Mark. Yeah, I think so. And Mark. And we'll Tom as well. We'll put that in the we show notes. We should get everyone in. Yeah. Yeah, the audience. Yeah. Our one audience member. <laughs> yeah. Oh, get him in there. <laughs> and... Uh, um, uh, to our listeners, you know, we have show notes every week uh, uh, at blog.stackexchange.com, uh, which lists some of the URLs that were mentioned uh, in this show and sort of summarize what happened so you can find it later. And I'll, ma- I'll make sure we have all of John's greatest hits as far as he's written a tremendous amount about Stack Overflow that's very, we cite it all the time. So thank you, John, for that. <laughs> my pleasure. Well, thank you for giving us the site. Oh, it, is. it has transformed my life, certainly. And the last, the last three years would not have been the same without Stack Overflow. Oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Me too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, Joel's, Joel's like, meh. He's like, I could do with it. I could do without it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.